Well, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We do welcome you here to Redeemer Church and glad that you can be a part of this worship service with us. If you are visiting with us, uh, we'd hope to connect with you. Uh, One of the ways that we do that is we have a little connect card that's in the seat back in front of you. Uh, If you would mind filling that out with... uh, a pen or paper or pencil and put it in the offering plate. It just gives us the awareness that you were here. Uh, if you prefer digital, uh, you just text the word welcome to that number that's on the screen. It just lets us know that you were with us and we can hopefully try to connect with you uh, during the week. Uh, just a few announcements here. Uh, most of our announcements are in our Redeemer Life uh, newsletter, which is near the Welcome Center. If you don't get one in your mailbox, Uh, if you don't have a mailbox yet, uh, but would love for you to uh, review that and to see what upcoming events there are. Uh, Today we have our Redeemer Open House. Uh, Dick and Janet Champ, our hosts, uh, will be near the Welcome Center. If you'd like to be a part of that today, there's still some room. And uh, if you are new to Redeemer, that's a great way uh, to get to know a few other people over a free lunch uh, in a wonderful spot. And I would love for you to meet them at the Welcome Center and just get to know them a little bit better. Uh, We also have... Um, uh, next Sunday night is our first uh, praise service of the new year, and uh, if you miss lunch today and you'd like to be part of a fellowship meal after that service, uh, next Sunday evening, January 15, uh, we hope you can stick around for that and enjoy uh, that time of uh, praising our great God with uh, extra music and just a wonderful service, and then followed by a fellowship meal. Uh, that would be also uh, something that would be a great way to connect with new people. Uh, We have a new ministry uh, starting today for uh, moms that have uh, nursery-aged children, and uh, that's going to be meeting during the Sunday school hour in the nursery, and uh, it's just a way for uh, moms to uh, get connected with a time of fellowship. There's going to be opportunity for testimonials as well as just encouraging one another uh, in your walk in the Lord, and just love for you to be a part of that if you have uh, nursery-aged kids and connect with other uh, moms in that uh, group. Uh, So that meets uh, starting today uh, in the nursery, like I said, during Sunday school. Uh, This coming Wednesday, we have our uh, Redeemer-supported missionary, Eric Hoeksema, who is going to be doing a presentation here at Redeemer at 6 o'clock. Uh, but it's not just going to be for our church. There's going to be people from all over the community uh, here to, to listen to the details of what Eric is going to be sharing with us. Uh, so we hope that you can be here on Wednesday, that we can host other people uh, at our church and be a part of uh, encouraging and supporting uh, Eric and Stacy in their ministry. And I hope you can be here 6 p.m. this Wednesday. And then uh, lastly, just want to uh, remind you that this coming Saturday is our Redeemer Food Pantry. And if you'd like to help volunteer uh, for that, uh, you can contact Steve Hill. His contact information uh, is in the bulletin. Well, let's take this moment now and uh, quiet our hearts as we come before our God. Is your life completely content? Well, most of us seek to improve something. And we are reminded uh, in uh, Scripture that when we seek the Lord first, we will certainly be improving things as we grow in Christ's likeness. But the psalmist said in Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Well, let us use our lips to praise our God, and we are here because Christ is our hope in life and death. Please stand with me as we sing.
Lord Jesus, we come praising you because you are indeed our only hope in life and in death. And the fact that we can even have hope in this broken and fallen and dark world, we come thankful uh, that you have brought that life to our hearts, that we can come to you and know that you're at work uh, drawing us near to yourself, doing what you alone can do best, uh, transforming us more and more into your image, that we might uh, know you in a deep and an eternal way. We ask that your spirit would continue uh, that wonderful work as we find our rest this morning in our God and in our King. Amen.
thank you and you may be seated. When we think about uh, bowing uh, before our Lord Jesus Christ, we know Philippians 2 is very clear that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth uh, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's not just on that day when Jesus comes that we get to do that. We get to do that each and every day. And part of that is when we come before our God, even confessing our sins, bowing before Him uh, in humble confession. And so last week we began our new series of confessions in our uh, Ten Commandments and uh, also using the larger catechism. And uh, so I'm going to read the uh, first commandment and then we're going to recite the uh, larger catechism together uh, before um, we get all of those details or we're going to get all those details that will aid us in our confession uh, to our God, uh, our prayer of repentance. So hear now the word of the living God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then we will recite together uh, the uh, uh, answer to this question from the larger catechism, question 105. What are the sins forbidden in the first commandment? The sins forbidden in the first commandment are atheism in denying or not having a god, idolatry in having or worshiping more gods than one, or any with or instead of the true God, the not having and avouching him for God and our God, the omission or neglect of anything due to him required in this commandment, ignorance, forgetfulness, apprehensions, false opinions, unworthy and wicked thoughts of him, bold and curious searching into his secrets, all profaneness, hatred of God, self-love, self-seeking, and all other inordinate and immoderate setting of our mind, will, or affections upon other things and taking them off from him in whole or in part, vain credulity, unbelief, heresy, misbelief, distrust, despair, incorrigibleness, and insensibleness, under judgments, hardship part, pride, presumption, carnal security, tempting of God, using unlawful means, and trusting in unlawful means, carnal delights and joys, corrupt, blind, and indiscreet zeal, lukewarmness and deadness in the things of God, estranging ourselves and apostatizing from God, praying or giving any religious worship to saints, angels, or any other creatures, all compacts and consults with the devil and hearkening to his suggestions, making men the lords of our faith and conscience, slighting and despising God and his commandments, resting, resisting and grieving of his spirit, discontent and impatience at his dispensations, charging him foolishly for the evils he inflicts on us, and ascribing the praise of any good we either are have or can do to fortune, idols, ourselves, 
or any other creature. So as you can see from the larger catechism, that first commandment is merely a summary of how Scripture comes together in so many other ways. And if you didn't find something in there to confess, we can do it again if you want. But um, there's plenty of things that that commandment calls our hearts uh, to bring to our God in uh, confession. And maybe one of those uh, in particular was highlighted for your heart. But let us take this time in private, personal confession, pray, uh, Uh, confessing to our God. Holy Father, we come before you because you are God and we are not. And in so many ways, we try to compete with you. We have believed the lies of the devil. We want to be God of our own lives and of other people's lives. Our will being supreme over all others. And yet, Lord, we know in our minds we are not worthy. We know in our minds it is wrong. And yet in our hearts we demand these things because of our sin, because of our selfishness, because we are sinners. And yet we are so grateful to you for your patience, for your kindness, to even provoke our consciences with your word and with these Concepts that demonstrate what obedience to your word looks like and what falling short of that commandment looks like. We ask your forgiveness. We ask you to renew our focus on submitting to your authority and your lordship in our lives and that we might find rest for our souls as we come to you confessing our sins and knowing with great confidence that those sins have already been paid for by the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Lord gives us a wonderful uh, promise of pardon in Psalm 32. When the psalmist says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Well, we rejoice in the Lord's amazing love. Let us join our hearts together as we stand to sing.
please feel free to take a seat. This morning, Pastor Jeff is going to preach on the fourth chapter of John, relating the story of Jesus' encounter with a woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And a key verse that he's going to share out of that passage is the verse that says, those true worshipers that worship the Father worship him in spirit and in truth. This morning, I'd like to pray and thank the Lord for his spirit and for the truth of his word. Father, I think of just a few minutes ago as we went through the uh, list of examples of violations of the first commandment. And Lord, it just pierces my heart to recognize that that perhaps all of us have violated every one of those uh, examples. And Lord, it, uh, it impresses upon us the absolute necessity for having a Savior as Jesus, who would be willing to offer himself, Lord, to have our sins imputed to him so that, Lord, we could be declared righteous in your sight. We thank you for his death, his resurrection. We also thank you, Lord, for his imparting of his Holy Spirit into us. Lord, without your Spirit, we would struggle uh, to perform even the, the most menial, simple works for you. Lord, I think of uh, the powering influence of your Spirit, Lord, how you guide us, how you strengthen us, Lord, how you enable us to overcome so many trials and, and tasks but most of all, Lord, we thank you for your Spirit's work in our lives, Lord, to help us to resist temptation, temptation of the world, of the flesh, and of the devil. Lord, every day we face these, and Lord, without your Spirit there, in our dependence upon your Spirit, Lord, we would easily succumb. We thank you, Father, for filling us with your Spirit, that we're even able to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your Holy Spirit, for allowing us to have the privilege to worship you in truth and in spirit. Lord, we thank you, too, for your truth of your word. Lord, there are so many critics that have tried to destroy the scriptures, Lord, because they see it as a threat, especially uh, all of that powers of Satan. Lord, I think of... Uh, of how many efforts have been made to, to question the reliability of scriptures, and yet you have used uh, the means of archaeologists to discover documents that predate uh, events that occurred in the Bible by four or five hundred years. And, and Lord, you have shown that with, through things such as the Dead Sea Scrolls, how even the book of Isaiah is almost perfect and word, every single word uh, is nearly replicated as was, was originally found in those Dead Sea Scrolls. Lord, we thank you that you have proven yourself through many infallible proofs, through the uh, evidence of old manuscripts, Lord, that we can see that your word has been, remained faithful and reliable all these many years. Lord, you are the God of all truth, and you have preserved your truth through all of these ages. 
and you will preserve it forever to come. Thank you, God, for the gift of your truth through your holy word. Lord, as we uh, uh, listen to, uh, to Jeff's sermon this morning, I pray, Father, that you prepare our hearts, our minds to receive what we hear. Please instruct us, Lord, from his sermon. I pray that your spirit would be upon him and might and strength, that you, Lord, he would be able to rightly divine the word for us and help us, Lord, to understand. Please prepare our hearts for both receiving and obeying what we learn. Lord, I pray for the Hooksamas that will be here on Wednesday. I pray for Eric, Lord, as he uh, seeks to uh, impart a greater understanding of the work that he and Stacy are performing in uh, Hungary and Ukraine. Since they're leaving so soon, Lord, I pray, Lord, that uh, there would be many that would be available to come here to be able to hear him before he leaves and be able to greet him as well. Lord, as we take our offering, we uh, give thanks to you this morning for giving you from uh, uh, for our needs, Lord, and enabling us to give a, uh, uh, a means of showing our love and thanks for you. Thank you, Lord, for the ability to, to express our love to you through this offering. And in your precious name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.
Would you join me in a prayer of intercession for members of our church and our community? Let's turn to our God. Well, Father of glory, God of splendor and holiness, a God who is creator and sustainer, God who upholds everything that this world includes. The psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glories above the heavens. And Father, we have had many opportunities to see the glory that you possess as God, and we are impressed. We can see that glory in the world that you've made, in the creation. We can see it in those around us. We can see it in the talent that you've given to those who create beautiful things for us to enjoy. We observe it in the relationships you've given us. We observe it in the way that people care and love for each other. Lord, the glory that you possess is amazing. You are God who's high and lifted up. And we are here this morning to proclaim you as God and God alone, that there is no one worthy of the praise that we offer to you. And the psalmist says in the very same psalm, what, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him, for you made him a little lower than the angels, and you crowned him with glory and honor. Among all the things that your word says that you created, you set your delight, not first of all on the majestic mountain, on the trees, on the beautiful singing of a bird, but you have set your desire, your affection, first and foremost on those you have made in your own image, on human beings. And this morning, one of the things we do to reflect your glory and the greatness of who you are is to pray and intercede for those that you have made in your own image. And we are glad to do it. It brings us joy to sing to you and to exalt your name. It brings us equal joy to intercede for each other and to recognize you as the God who cares for those whom you have created and you love. We pray for each person who is around us this morning, for those who are joining us over the internet stream, for those who may be listening to us many years from now. We pray for the trials and the burdens that we bear with us as we come to worship this morning. They may be the ordinary sort. Maybe we have squabbled on the way to church this morning as we have come as families. Maybe we are lonely. Maybe we are struggling as we make a job transition. Maybe we're worried about our finances. Maybe we miss someone who's very close to us that you've taken in death. Maybe we're struggling with an illness and we're hoping to recover Lord, there are many reasons why we come into your presence this morning asking you to hear us. Many of these are unnamed, and we ask, Lord, that you would hear them. That as we cry out to you, even in the silence of our hearts, that you would hear us. We pray, Lord, that you would. But we also pray for those that we can pray for publicly that have made these desires known. We pray for Richard Bauma as he recovers from stem cell transplant lord heal him and be close to his spirit we ask that he would recover and you would use this therapy in order to cause him to regain health we pray for his dear wife as well as she encourages him supports him and cares for him 
We pray for Mickey Kike. We are thankful that she is making good improvements, and we are thankful for the support and love that she has received from other members of this congregation. She is grateful to our God for the love that you have shown, and we rejoice with her. We pray for our dear brother, Zach Francois, and many others in Haiti this morning. Lord, we continue to pray for places in the world where there is a political and military environment in which there is struggle, and there is heartache, and there is opposition. And we pray especially for Zach and for other MAF workers in Haiti that you would protect their lives and you enable them to continue to do their work. We pray for Clarice Lorip. Lord, she has received conflicting reports and advice about what to do next. And we do ask that you would give her wisdom, that you would help her and those around her to sort through the advice and to really understand what is the wise course moving forward. Lord, you have not brought this advice in order to discourage or confuse her. And we ask that in the middle of this even, you would show yourself good and she would know your love and your kindness to her. We rejoice with the Meyer Dirks in the, ba- in the birth of their baby Penelope. Lord, we rejoice with her uh, birth and with many other expectant parents in our congregation. Lord, you have, you have really poured out your blessings on us as a congregation and as families, and we rejoice in it. We pray that this little girl would grow in strength and understanding of you, and we pray for her parents, that they would direct and guide her as she grows. And then we pray for our dear sister, Gail Stahl. Lord, we thank you for the recovery that you have given her. We rejoice with her in the care that she's been shown by members of our congregation, but we pray that you would encourage her, that she would not grow heavy-hearted. Instead, she would look to you as her hope and the one that would provide for her day and night, day after day after day. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters across the world this morning. We rejoice that we are not only the, the ones calling out in your name, calling out to your name this morning in this place, but there are Christians around the world who are doing the same. We pray especially for those who are being harmed by those who are in authority over them. We pray for Christians in various parts of the world this morning. We especially intercede for the churches in Nigeria. Lord, this is a place in Africa where there has been extremism that has taken hold and is harming those who are calling in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would provide for them religious freedom. That instead of opposition and discouragement, there would be an openness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Protect those who preach your word even on this day. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ go forward boldly and in a transforming way, beginning in the hearts of men and women and children, expanding into neighborhoods and communities and into nations, that the world would see that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. And we desire that that would happen here as well. We've already prayed for the preaching of your word. We do it again now. You have said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ And how shall they hear unless the word is proclaimed to them? And Lord, we are here in fulfillment of that promise that when the word is proclaimed, it would not return empty, but would accomplish the purpose for which you have intended. And so now we pray that as we read your word and as I explain it to your people, that my voice would be the one that we hear with our ears, but your spirit would use my voice to speak God's word. 
in a powerful and transformative way to each one of us. Father, you are a good God. We've already heard that. You are a God who's powerful. We believe that. Show your goodness and your power now in the face and in the life and in the power of Jesus Christ. It is in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. This morning we're returning where we left off at the end of last year to John chapter 4. And this morning we'll be reading John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. I'd invite you to turn there if you have a Bible with you. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen behind me. This is perhaps one of the more familiar passages in the Bible. The woman at the well and Jesus... And we pray this morning as we hear this word read and proclaim that the Lord would teach us who this Jesus is. That is the point in the Gospel of John, to show us Jesus, to convince us that he is Lord and Savior. So beginning at John chapter 4, verse 1, hear the word of God. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of God. On the south rim of the Grand Canyon is a point that is not accessible by most vehicles. It is called Yaki Point. I was standing there about this time of day two days ago with one other man. It was just the two of us. It was fairly apparent that neither of us had seen the Grand Canyon before that day. And it was also fairly apparent to me, as we were looking without saying anything, that both of us were deeply impressed by what we were seeing. It was overwhelming. I kept thinking to myself, it's like looking at a giant's painting of a scene. It's almost unfathomable that this is real. It is so big, it is so beautiful, it is so overwhelming. So I asked him the natural question, where are you from? He said, I'm from Uganda. Where are you from? Hoping to impress him, of course, I said, Michigan. (laughs) A long period of silence followed as we continued to look at the mile-deep crevice called the Grand Canyon. And then slowly he turned to me. May I ask you a question? Perhaps it's a silly question. I don't know if I should ask it. Can you tell me how this, all of this, got here? For a moment, two days ago, I thought about just saying, well, if you go to the visitor center, it says the Colorado River in a long, long period of time. But that's not what I said. As awkward as it seemed in my own spirit to say, I said... I believe that God put it here, the God of the Bible. There was more silence, long silence, awkward silence. And then another question, who is this God? This God you say made the Grand Canyon. That's a good question, isn't it? Who is this God? What would you say if you're a Christian? Where would you go to explain who this God is? This morning we are returning, as I said, to John chapter 4. The whole gospel of John is designed to answer that question. Who is this Jesus? And John wants so badly to convince us this Jesus is our only hope. There is nowhere in all the world to go to find the hope that we find in Jesus. That is the goal of the gospel of John. And now in John chapter 4, I want to focus on verses 24 through 26 with you this morning. The writer answers the question, who is God? And as simple as that question is, as you're mulling over, standing on the edge of Yaki Point in Grand Canyon land, answering this man, who is God? What do you say? Let me tell you what John says. John says that the God that we read about in the Bible is, hear this, and I'm going to explain each part of it, 
He is this distinct being who is knowable and near. That's not the only thing the Bible says about God. But it is John's answer to that question, and I want to explain that to you. Let me begin with the world of John chapter 4. Obviously, the answer that comes in verses 24 through 26, these words do not come in a vacuum. In fact, they come in one of the most stark and surprising places in the Gospel of John to this point. One of the things that we know about the Jews and the Samaritans is they did not like each other at all. They were in opposition to each other. The history of the Samaritans is maybe a little fuzzy, but our best understanding is that the Samaritans arrived in this place in the world in the following way. It was most likely that they came from an intermarriage between the Jews who were in the northern part of Israel, who were left behind when Israel as a nation was taken captive. So these Israels who were sort of the leftovers, when they intermarried with foreigners who were brought to that place by the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians. And the worship that the Samaritans offered was a combination of both the Jewish religion as well as what came from other places. It was syncretistic. And so there was violence and disagreement between these two groups of people. There was a deep division over the question, who is God? And it worked out in all parts of their societies. And each group tried to avoid the other. They didn't like each other at all. The original readers of the story would have been thoroughly impressed with the fact that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. Just look at verse 9 of our story. There's an impression there. There's surprise. Why would Jesus, a Jew, talk to a Samaritan woman? The other thing I want to note to you before I explain that phrase, God is a distinct being who is noble and near, is what it says in verses 5 and 6. It says, And Jesus went to the place that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and there was a well there. You might think that's an interesting tidbit of history that has very little import. It's sort of just injected there. But to the Israelite readers of this history, it would have immediately told them this important truth, that even though Samaria was a place in which there was this conflict between Jews and Samaritans, Samaria was not a place devoid of God. This is a place significant in the history of Israel. It was a part of what God had promised to give to his people. To put it simply, it was not an atheist or agnostic place. It was a place that bespoke God's involvement over history as part of his covenant promises. And the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman begins with her asking him why he would ask her for a drink. That would have seemed very strange to her. And it leads them to talking about the living water that Jesus can supply, which leads in turn to Jesus asking her to bring her husband, only she says she has no husband now, which may have been technically true. Jesus says you had five husbands, and the one that you are with now is not your husband. And who could know that? The woman comes to the conclusion, except a prophet. And if you were a prophet then perhaps I should ask you a question. Where are we supposed 
to worship? Is it on this mountain or is it, as you say, as a Jew in Jerusalem? To which Jesus says, you are missing the point. He doesn't actually say that, but that's what he is saying. You are missing the points. It's not where you worship, it's rather who you worship. The Bible says you are to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Which takes us to the pair of verses, the three verses, I should say, where Jesus addresses the question, who is God? Who is this God the Samaritan woman is seeking to worship? Who is this God who made everything that we see? Who is this God who is found in the Bible? And the answer that Jesus gives this woman and he gives us this morning is this. God is a distinct being who is both noble and near. Let me explain those three things. First, he is a distinct being. You see that in verse 24. God is a spirit, Jesus says. There are two things to note about God being a spirit. First, there is a contrast here naturally between the physical and the spiritual. For example, in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 3, it says, But the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirits. That is to say, there is a contrast between flesh and spirit. Or maybe a better way to say it is there is more beyond the flesh. We're used to looking at the world in our culture, in the history of Western culture, as merely physical. Jesus is exploding that myth. Please don't believe the world is only physical. That you can discover everything there is to know if you only concentrate on the physical. There is a spiritual beyond. We teach our children this from the very earliest age. When we ask them to repeat after us, God is a spirit and does not have a body as we do. The second thing that God is a spirit means is that in the Old Testament, being a spirit, that God is a spirit, is connected always with God being a creative, life-giving being. For example, in Genesis 1 verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters at creation. And it is by the Spirit's work that God speaks into existence the entirety of the universe. God is not merely flesh. He is spirits. And God is a life-giving, creative spirit. What this means, these two things, is that it's a mistake to conceive of God in the same way that we conceive of things that are physical or tangible. When we try to turn God into something that is physical, what we do is cheapen God. We make Him less than He actually is. It is for that reason the second commandment prohibits us from turning God into something that is an image. It's not just because it's inaccurate, it's because it's disrespectful. It reduces God to something that he is far more than. But there is another broader application to God being spirit as well, to being a distinct being. By distinct, I mean not only identifiable, he is unique. God is a unique being. There is a sense, perhaps in your own heart, or certainly is a sense in our culture as a whole, that all religions basically have the same God. It's just a matter of you choosing. I remember a small town where I grew up. There was a sign right at the edge of town that said, Worship at the church of your choice. 
Now, that makes some sense. We have freedom of religion in the United States. I'm very grateful for that. It's not true in other places in the world. May it be true. But there's also perhaps a potential difficulty with a sign like that. It may lead us to believe that worship is just a matter of your choice. Whatever you choose to believe is up to you. It's all good. It's all the same. Just make whatever choice you desire. Most people in our culture, most Americans believe that is true. That all religions have the same God, but that worship is just a God under a different name. Muhammad Gandhi said, The soul of religion is one, but it is encased in a multitude of forms. If I had to guess, I would say in the airplane that my wife and I flew back on yesterday, if I would have surveyed the 160-some people on that airplane, most of them would have said, that's basically true. When Christians, Jews, Buddhists, and others pray to their God, all these individuals are basically praying to the same God, simply using different names for the same deity. But here's the first thing I want to say about who is God. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is saying God is spirit. And not just that he's not physical, or that he is a life-giving spirit. He is claiming that the God of the Bible is something or someone different. He must. He is saying we must worship this God. He is unlike any other being the world knows. That's first. This God is distinct. That's who God is. If I can go back to the story that I started with. It is saying to the man from Uganda who asked me who is God. Saying to him, this God is unlike any other God. There is one God who made the heavens and the earth, including the Grand Canyon. Or to repeat the words of the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, there is one God and one alone. That's who God is. But the second thing... Then Jesus says in these three verses, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That God is a spirit might lead you to wonder if God is so far away, so unlike us, that we cannot know him. No, we can know him. That's the second thing. Hear that. God is not only a distinct being, he is knowable. We must worship him in a way that is appropriate to him in spirit, but also in truth. It is not spirit plus truth. It is in spirit that is in truth in a way that is appropriate to him as God. Let me explain that a little more. When Jesus says in spirit, he is speaking the same way that Paul does later in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 12. Let me read that to you. Paul says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God, hear this, except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. What Paul is saying is that the Spirit of God takes the truth 
that is only known about God and to God and makes those truths understandable to us. That is the truth. Paul says in verse 7 of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, that is precisely what he intended to do. He was giving the Corinthians truth that would ordinarily be hidden and secret. What he is saying that is, is that it comes through the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Revelation written down. That is how we come to know God Himself. We're not just searching around trying to touch and feel for a place in which we can know God. No, God is a distinct being who is knowable. How do we know Him? Through the Word of God. That's who we know who God is. That is why I say that God is not only distinct, that is spirit, he is also knowable. That is the spirit of God gives us the truth of God as spoken in the scriptures. And that is a couple of very important implications for you. And I want to make those clear to you this morning. One is if you want to know who God is, you can discover who he is by reading his word. Seems like such an obvious truth. And yet how many of us search and wonder questions like, what is God doing? Why is this happening to me? What is God up to? Really questions about not only what he's doing, but who he is. Let me suggest for you this morning, the place to start is in the scriptures. It's not as though God is beyond our understanding or that God is holding back on us. You know, there may be things that are difficult for us to understand about what God is doing, or even about God himself. But God intends in his word to make known to us who he is, and from who he is, what he is doing in our world and in us as his people. Or perhaps this morning, I'll speak to you directly. You're a person when asked who is God, you would say to yourself, who can even know? I believe there's a spiritual reality, but who can really know what this God is like? The answer to how you can know God is found here. We must worship Him in truth. That is, go to the truth and discover who He is. Because God is not only distinct, He is knowable. It says so right here. Who is God? God is a distinct being who is knowable. That's what the Bible says. But the third thing you should know about God, as it says in this passage, that God is a distinct being and he is knowable, but he is also near. You might wonder, what do you mean, Pastor, when you say that God is near? Perhaps you're stating the obvious. If you know something about the Christian teaching about God, you would know since God is able to be in all places at one time, of course he is near to us. He is here. God is not limited by time or space. So it would be obvious that he is near us. But when I say that God is near, that's who God is, I don't mean that obvious way only. I may near in the sense that you might talk about a friend who is near and dear. That is, he comes to us. That he is someone who comes to us to help. In verses 25 and 26, the the woman says when the Messiah comes, he would tell us all things. 
And the woman, even though she might not have realized it, is more rights than she probably meant to be. Because Jesus says at the very end of this chapter, or the end of this reading, the thing that is most startling of all. He says to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. Jesus does tell us all things. That is true. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says that later in this gospel. But in that telling, he not only unfolds information to us, Jesus comes near to us in the incarnation. He comes as our God, as our Savior in human flesh. He is not distance, distant, he is near. In order to save in his own flesh those who are human. The Messiah comes so that the truth would not only be heard, it would be realized. He would come to tell us that we need to be saved. And then he would do everything necessary for us to be saved. That's what it means for Jesus to be near. What does the Bible say then about the question, who is God? It answers, he is a distinct being. He is a spirit. There is no one else like him. He is the creator. What you see all around us is God's work. He is also, he is also knowable. The Bible has spoken to us in the word of God who he is. You may be impressed by his creation, but if you want to know who God is, go to his word and learn. He is a distinct being, distinct being who is knowable, but then he is also near. That is, he is not a God only out there, far away, inaccessible. No, God has sent his only son into this world. As Jesus says in the previous chapter, that all who believe in him might be saved. Who is God? He is a distinct person, a distinct being who is noble and near. And that is the answer to the question. The man at the rim of the Grand Canyon was looking for. This morning I give it to you as well. Not because you're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Perhaps some of you have and you've been impressed as I was just two days ago by the greatness of what God did. But you're standing, of course, in life. And it's human to ask the question, who is God? And it is human to long for the answer. You are as human as the Samaritan woman found in John chapter 4. And to ask the big question, who is God, is not just her question, it is our question. Your question individually, our question is a human race. And it is by God's kindness to us this morning that he answers with such clarity, power, and grace. Who is God? God is a distinct person who is noble and near. Let's pray to him. Father, it is with joy in our hearts this morning that we're thankful to call upon you as this sort of being. That even though you are great and powerful and what you have done is beyond our imaginations, you have not left it to us to try to discover who you are, but you've spoken to us in your word. We pray for each person who is here and each person who listens that this message of the power of God coming close to us in Jesus Christ, would not fall on hearts that are unable to receive it, but instead it would fall on soft hearts, ready hearts, able hearts, 
to hear this news, respond to it in faith, and believe in this Jesus. We're thankful for the assurance this gives us, for the joy that it causes in our hearts. We pray that it would spring up in our hearts unto eternal life, as Jesus says earlier in this chapter. May that be true, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing the words, Mighty to Save.
let me encourage you after the service is done, there's a time of coffee and some snacks in the back. And then there are um, youth Sunday school classes held in the wing of our church. We're going to have sermon discussion. If you'd like to think, talk, discuss what you just heard, that will be in this room at quarter after 11. One other thing to remind you that tonight we also have an evening service, and tonight we begin a series on the question, how can I know that I'm saved? Maybe that's a question for you or someone that you know. We'll be considering that tonight from Romans chapter 8. Before we leave worship, receive this blessing from your God. He gives it to you with His grace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with you all. Go in His peace. Amen.